Hey guys, and welcome back to Born to Kill, episode one. I'm your host, Jessica, and today we're going to dig into the case of the infamous Jeffrey Dahmer. So this is my very first podcast, so to say, because the first one was really an introduction. You know, episode zero was really about getting to know me and what this podcast was about. But today we're going to really actually jump into a case and get into it. Now... I'm sorry if my quality or if, you know, I stumble over my words. I'm not going to get better until I just go ahead and do it. I've been trying to record this episode for over a month now. So, yeah, if you're hearing this, this is this is big goals. So, yeah, I'm just going to try my hardest not to replay this back and just record it and get it over with. So, like I said, today this case is going to be about Jeffrey Dahmer. And I wanted my first episode to be pretty well known so you guys could get a feel for how this podcast will run. And this episode will probably be decently long. So it may be split into two episodes. I'm not sure yet. We will see. But we're going to start off talking about Jeffrey Dahmer's upbringing and his childhood so that way we can get more of an understanding into his crimes and, you know, what made Jeffrey Dahmer Jeffrey Dahmer. And hopefully at the end of this episode, maybe we can answer the question if Jeffrey Dahmer was born to kill or if we think his circumstances in life were the reason behind his crimes. So let's go ahead and dive into the case. So Jeffrey Dahmer was born on May 21st, 1960 in Milwaukee, Wisconsin to his parents Lionel and Joyce Dahmer. In his early toddler years, Jeffrey was thought to be a happy child. There were no early signs that would foreshadow his future. He was mostly described as energetic and happy up until about the age of four. At the age of four, Jeffrey underwent surgery to correct a double hernia, which afterwards seemed to have a negative change on him. He was notably quieter and more subdued. These were the first notable signs that something in Jeffrey's personality had changed or was believed to be the first notable signs. Jeffrey's family life was not believed to be happy and not much time was dedicated to him. Jeffrey's father was away, often at university studying, and his mother seemed to suffer from anxiety. On one occasion, Joyce attempted suicide by an overdose of tranquilizer pills, which she was addicted to. I did want to mention that research supports that anxiety and depression can be inherited and this is relevant because going forward I want to point out many signs and points in Jeffrey's life where he seems to be exhibiting signs of destructive behavior and depression. So Jeffrey's intense family life also showed at school and many of his classmates saw him as timid and quiet. His teachers believed that his reserved nature was due to neglect at home. Jeffrey's interest in animals began at an early age as well. Jeffrey collected insects and kept them in jars. Later, he collected animal carcasses from the roadside. He would dismember these animals either at home or in the woods. According to one friend, Jeffrey dismembered these animals and stored the parts in jars in the family's wooden tool shed, always explaining that he was curious as how to each animal fit it together. And if you've heard any of this knowledge before, that this is obviously a first sign that something very wrong or, you know, the first signs of a serial killer or a psychopath is the killing and harming of animals. This is a pretty big sign that empathy or compassion is lacking or missing in a person. Empathy is a learned behavior, though you are born with it. 
many serial killers, psychopaths, and sociopaths lack empathy. And this lack of feeling and understanding of another's emotions is the biggest difference between a regular everyday person and a psychopath and sociopath. On one occasion, Jeffrey decapitated the carcass of a dog before nailing the animal's body to a tree. He later impaled the skull of the dog upon a stake beside a wooden cross in the woods behind his house. Jeffrey's fascination with dead animals might have begun when at the age of four he noted his father removing animal bones from beneath the family home. According to Lionel, his son was oddly thrilled by the sound the bones made and instantly developed a fixation for playing with and collecting animal bones. He occasionally searched beneath and around the family home for additional bones. I just find it very interesting that he began this fascination at the age of four. The age of four is a highly impressionable age. Children can form habit building behaviors through the sounds they like, textures they enjoy touching and taste they enjoy. This behavior is similar to a child repeating a sound they like. And you know, just his exposure to bones and their sounds could have stuck with him into his child and adulthood. The Dahmer family relocated to Doyle's Town, Ohio in October 1966. At the time, Joyce was pregnant with her second son, David. The family relocated again in 1968 to Bath Township, Ohio. It was here that Jeffrey asked his father what would happen if he placed chicken bones in a bleach solution. Lionel was happy to see his son taking an interest in science and demonstrated how to bleach and preserve animal bones which Jeffrey later adopted in his crimes. So now we're gonna talk about Jeffrey's early teen years. And this is presumably when his alcohol addiction began. As a high school freshman, Jeffrey began drinking beer and hard liquor, often referring to it as his medicine. He was 14 and was drinking before, during, and after class. Though very secluded, Jeffrey was described as being highly intelligent though he showed no interest in his schoolwork. And many psychopaths and sociopaths are highly intelligent individuals. I'm not surprised that Jeffrey was described as so. His ability to apply his intelligence in school was probably due to lack of interest and even his abuse of alcohol. He probably could have been very successful in school and life if he chose another path. Once Jeffrey hit puberty, he began to realize he was gay and having erotic sexual fantasies about dominating and dissecting men. These fantasies were then escalated when he planned to incapacitate a man with a baseball bat. Thankfully, the unsuspecting jogger had planned another route that day and Jeffrey was not able to carry out his plan. This is the first known attempt of him trying to attack another individual. I believe that Jeffrey's fascination with the dissection of animals and his sexual fantasies were a huge motivator to drive him to killing. So around this time, Jeffrey's parents decided to attend counseling due to their frequent arguments at home which were notably in front of Jeffrey and his brother. I don't think I need to tell you how constant fighting in the household in front of children can stunt them and can follow them into adulthood. I want to say I am in no way saying that children from divorced homes grow up to be serial killers, just that many children grow up carrying this emotional trauma into their adult lives. The counseling was unsuccessful in salvaging their marriage and the two decided to divorce. In early 1976, Lionel moved out of the home. J 
Jeffrey graduated high school at age 18 and Joyce was awarded custody of her younger son, David. So now we're gonna jump into Jeffrey Dahmer's first murder. In June of 1978, the summer after Jeffrey's graduation, Jeffrey invited over 18-year-old Stephen Hicks. The two got drunk and when Stephen tried to leave, Jeffrey hit him in the head with a barbell and killed him. Whether or not this was sexually motivated by Jeffrey's desires is not known, but his actions following the murder could be an indicator. Jeffrey cut up Stephen's body and placed the parts in garbage bags. He buried the bags in the woods and years later returned to uncover the bones, only to crush them and spread the remains in the woods. When asked later as to why he killed Stephen Hicks, his only reply was that he tried to leave. I'm sure if Stephen had chose to stay the night, he would have died anyway, but I think Jeffrey had a much more eventful night planned. I'm speculating, but I think he planned to have sex or rape Stephen, and Stephen wanting to leave frustrated him. Maybe Stephen denied his sexual advances, or maybe he even teased Jeffrey for being gay. No one knows what actually occurred that night, but this is only, you know, what I'm speculating happened. So after high school, Dahmer enrolled at Ohio State University and spent most of his time skipping classes and getting drunk. He dropped out and returned home shortly after only completing two semesters. His father then issued him an ultimatum, get a job or join the army. In 1979, Dahmer enlisted for six years in the army, but his drinking continued. And in 1981, just after two years, he was discharged because of his drunken behavior. Jeffrey had a string of small arrests before his arrest for his murders. Jeffrey spent the next six years with his grandmother who lived in Wisconsin and continued to abuse alcohol. In August 1982, he was arrested for exposing himself at a state fair. He then spent 10 months in jail for public exposure and possibly masturbating in public. After this, he was arrested again for sexually fondling a 13-year-old boy. Somehow, Jeffrey was able to convince the judge that he needed help and was given five years probation. Now, as I mentioned before, this to me exhibits self-destructive behavior. Remember that Jeffrey is a highly intelligent individual and these small crimes essentially are beneath him in comparison to his first murder. I truly think this was Jeffrey trying to control or fight his urges by trying to find other sexual outlets. This is approximately a six year gap between his first murder and his second murder. This to me shows a sense of guilt within himself for what he did. I want to be clear that this is not empathy or remorse for the victim because he may not have been capable of that, but a sense of guilt that he can't control his urges. After his first kill, instead of going out to find another victim, he enrolls in university and when that doesn't work, he enlists in the army, but his, alcohol, his abuse of alcohol ultimately gets him discharged. Him trying to essentially be good is shown and he really does seem to be trying to correct himself. By the time he is committing these small crimes and getting caught for public masturbation, I think ultimately Jeffrey was asking to be caught. I think Jeffrey did everything he could think to do to fix his urges and it wasn't working. He then pleads with the judge who then just gives him probation after he molests a teen boy. In my opinion, the judge could have 
done more. The judge could have sentenced Jeffrey to a court-mandated counseling or something that was more behavioral curving. This is not entirely the court's fault, but this is a cry for help that, if answered, could have stopped him from committing future murders and saved many lives. And this is a quote from Jeffrey himself. He says, I think in some way I wanted it to end, even if it meant my own destruction. Okay, so now we're moving into Jeffrey's second murder. During this probation period, Jeffrey met 26-year-old Stephen Toomey, and the two spent the night drinking heavily and cruising gay bars. The two spent the night at a hotel where they engaged in sex. The next morning, Jeffrey awoke to find Stephen Toomey dead. According to Jeffrey, he had no intentions to kill Stephen Toomey. He had only planned to drug and rape him that night. That's why, you know, I stutter over they engaged in sex because it could have been rape. He also states that he has no recollection of killing him either. The details of how he was killed are not known because Stephen Toomey's remains were never found. But according to Jeffrey, he believes he may have beaten him to death in a drunken rage. He then put his body in a bag and took it back to his grandmother's home, where he left the body in the basement. A week later, Jeffrey dismembered the body, removing the head, arms, and legs from the torso. He removed the bones and cut the flesh into smaller pieces to dispose of them better. He then smashed the bones until they were just fragments and discarded them as well. Jeffrey disposed of everything but the head of Stephen Tumai. Two weeks later, Jeffrey placed Tumai's head in bleach and, and an acidic, acidic solution to recover the skull. Jeffrey then engaged in sex with the skull. After he destroyed and discarded the skull as well, Jeffrey referred to his sexual acts with corpses as passive sex. This became his regular pattern and was probably his only motivating factor to so kill. So looking at this murder and then looking at his murders going forward, this is the murder that Jeffrey was able to find what worked as far as his sexual desires. I think Jeffrey's necrophilia began here. He wasn't satisfied with killing a person, but it was after the person was gone that he wanted to continue to connect with I them. I think this is why he kept the head of his victims. I think the two weeks he waited before engaging in necrophilia with the head of Stephen Tumai was probably an internal debate with his urges and his idea of right and wrong. I 100% believe that Jeffrey knew right from wrong. I just believe that his persistent urges overpowered his desire to do the right thing, or in this case, to not engage in sex with the corpse of his victims. So believe it or not, Jeffrey was almost caught on more than one occasion. On April 23rd, Jeffrey lured another young man to his house. However, after giving the victim a drugged coffee, both he and the victim heard Jeffrey's grandmother call, Is that you, Jeffrey? Although Dahmer replied in a manner that led his grandmother to believe he was alone, she did observe that Dahmer was not alone. Because of this, Dahmer opted not to kill this particular victim. Instead, he waited until he had become unconscious before taking him to the county general hospital. Hiding his increased urges and murders at his grandmother's house was becoming harder and harder to hide. Jeffrey started working as a mixer at a chocolate factory in order to afford a one-bedroom apartment in Milwaukee. Dahmer's killing spree continued and for most of his victims, the scene was mostly the same. He would meet them at a gay bar 
or a mall and enticed them with free alcohol and money if they agreed to pose for photographs. Once alone, he would drug them, sometimes torture them, and then kill them, usually by strangulation. He would then masturbate over the corpse or have sex with the corpse, cut the body up, and get rid of the remains. He also kept parts of the bodies, including the skulls, which he would clean much like he did with his childhood roadkill collection and often refrigerate organs, which he would occasionally eat. Dahmer's killing spree continued uninterrupted until an incident on May 27, 1991. His 13th victim was 14-year-old Conorak Synthesimphone, which I'm, I hope I'm saying that right, and I'm going to try and just go with his first name who was also the younger brother of the boy Dahmer was convicted of molesting in 1989. Early in the morning, the young man, who was nude and disoriented, was seen wandering the streets with Jeffrey. When police arrived on the scene, there were paramedics, two women who were standing close to the confused young man, and Jeffrey Dahmer. Jeffrey told police that Conorak was his 19-year-old lover who was drunk and the two had been arguing. The police escorted Dahmer and the boy back to Dahmer's apartment, much against the protests of the women who had witnessed Conorak's fighting off Dahmer before the police had arrived. The police found Dahmer's apartment neat and other than noticing an unpleasant smell, nothing seemed amiss. They left the young man under Dahmer's care. Later, the police officers joked with their dispatcher about reuniting the lovers. Within hours, Dahmer killed Conorak and performed his usual ritual on the body. So it's almost unnerving how close the police were to catching him. These same officers after Jeffrey's arrest did lose their jobs. Kind of makes sense considering they missed a huge sign that something more was going on. They should have investigated the situation a bit more. After this, Jeffrey had escalated his killings to once a week until July 22nd, 1991, when he was unable to hold captive Tracy Edwards, his 18th victim. According to Edwards, Jeffrey had attempted to handcuff him and the two fought. Edwards was able to break free and was seen by police walking the street with handcuffs dangling from his arm. Being that it was 12 a.m. and Edwards looked like he had escaped from authorities, the police stopped him. Edwards explained his ordeal with Jeffrey and took the police back to Jeffrey's apartment. When the police officers arrived, Jeffrey opened the door and seemed very calm when speaking to the officers. He answered their questions and agreed to provide them with the key to release Edwards of the handcuffs. One of the officers followed Jeffrey into his bedroom to retrieve the key and saw Jeffrey's photographs of dismembered body parts. The officers saw the body parts and skulls that Jeffrey stored in the fridge and the officers decided to arrest Jeffrey. After a brief scuffle, the police were able to successfully arrest Jeffrey. So these officers obviously did a more thorough investigation when it came to the Edwards victim. Jeffrey was completely calm when talking with the officers and even let them come inside his apartment. He probably felt like he could successfully lie to the police and after 17 previous kills, I'm sure he felt like he couldn't be caught or wouldn't be caught. He left photographs lying around his apartment and then invited the police inside while he retrieved the key. Without a search warrant, he didn't have to let the police in. I really don't know why he would let them inside his apartment knowing he had plenty of evidence sitting out. Maybe to keep the police from being suspicious, I guess. Noted by the officers and the investigator and the investigators, 
Here is the extensive evidence found in Jeffrey's apartment. And stick with me while I list all of the many things that these investigators found. A human head and three bags of organs, which included two hearts, were found in the refrigerator. Three heads, a torso, and various internal organs were inside a freestanding Chemicals freezer. such as formaldehyde, ether, and chloroform, plus two skulls, two hands, and male genitalia were found in the closet. A fowling cabinet that contained three painted skulls, a skeleton, a dried scalp, male genitalia, and various photographs of his victims, a box with two skulls inside, a 57-gallon vat filled with acid and three torsos, victims' identification, bleach used to bleach the skulls and bones, incense sticks, neighbors often complained to Dahmer about the smell coming from his apartment, so that was, you know, why the incense sticks were in there. Tools such as a claw hammer, handsaw, and a couple of drills, a 3 8 drill, 1 16th drill, I know nothing about drills, and drill bits, a hypodermic needle, various videos, some pornographic, blood soap mattress, and blood spatters, and a King so James Bible. So after his Bible. arrest on July 22nd, 1991, Jeffrey Dahmer made a full confession to the police and worked with investigators to identify his victims. He was interviewed for over 60 hours and waived his right to a lawyer, quoting, I created this horror and it, is, and it only makes sense I put an end to it. Jeffrey included in-depth details about how he murdered each victim and disposed of their remains. Jeffrey admitted to all 17 killings and even revealed that some of his victims were killed by injecting boiling water or acid into their brains. This is a brutal way to die, by being injected with boiling water or acid in the brain? Jeffrey described mm. his need and compulsion to kill as a desire which he had to fulfill. He stated, it was an insistent and never-ending desire to be with someone at whatever cost. Someone good-looking, really nice-looking. It just filled my thoughts all day long. On January 30th, 1992, Jeffrey's trial began. He was indicted on 17 murder charges, which was later reduced to 15, and the trial was focused heavily on his 160-page confession and witness testimony to his necrophilia urges. Jeffrey pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity. The question was not whether or not he did it, but if he was in his right mind while planning and executing his crimes. I really want to know what you guys think if, you know, he was insane or if he was clearly in his right mind when he did these crimes. And be sure to leave, you know, everything that you think in the comment section below. I'm really curious to read it. So don't be shy. Don't hold back. I'll read it. The trial lasted for two weeks and the jury found Jeffrey in his right mind when he committed these crimes and guilty of 15 counts of murder. Jeffrey was sentenced to 15 consecutive life terms for a total of 957 years. He was later found guilty of his first murder of Stephen Hicks and was sentenced to another life term. So in case you're wondering why Jeffrey got life and not death for his crimes, I did some research because I was also curious. And it's because he pled guilty. It doesn't mean the defendant can't still receive the death penalty, but usually it's taken off the table if the defendant pleads guilty to his crimes. After his trial, Jeffrey did make a statement to the court before his sentencing. And I read the entire statement that he made, and I'm just paraphrasing here to get a point across. 
He stated, I deserve whatever I get because of what I have done. I asked for no consideration. He also went on to apologize for the two officers that were fired after they returned one of Dahmer's victims to his apartment. I know they did their best and I just plain fooled them, he said. For that, I am sorry. Jeffrey also goes on to say, I knew I was sick or evil or both. Now I believe I was sick. I hated no one. These were not hate crimes. I hope God has forgiven me. I know society will never be able to forgive me. I know the families of the victims will never be able to forgive me. I feel so bad for what I did to those poor families and I understand their rightful hate. I have seen their tears and if I could give my life right now to bring their loved ones back, I would do it. The victims' family members were also given the opportunity to make statements in court and I'll read off a few of them. Apologies if I mispronounce any names. You took his life like a thief in the night, said Stanley Miller, uncle of Ernest Miller. You took Ernest my 17-year-old son away from me. You took my daughter's only brother away from her. She'll never have the chance to sing and dance with him again, said Dorothy Strotter, mother you of Curtis You are the devil Strotter. that walked on the streets and was loose, said Janie Hagen, sister of Richard Guerrero. Jeffrey served out his sentence in Columbia Correctional Institution and Portuguese, Wisconsin. During his time in prison, Dahmer expressed remorse for his actions and wished for his own death. He also read the Bible and declared himself a born-again Christian, ready for his final judgment. He was attacked twice by fellow inmates, with the first attempt to slice his neck open, leaving him with only superficial wounds. However, he was attacked a second time on November 28, 1994, by an inmate using a metal bar. He was beaten to death as they cleaned one of the prison showers. Dahmer was found still alive, but died on the way to the hospital from severe head trauma. I find it interesting that he found religion in prison. Many inmates do, but how extensive his crimes were, it's amazing he believed in his own redemption. Also, I want to add that the inmate who attacked and killed Dahmer also claimed that Dahmer would joke about his crimes and would take his food and make body parts out of it. There's no way of knowing if this was true or not, but Christopher J. Scarver told investigators that this is what motivated him to kill Jeffrey Dahmer. Jeffrey's remains were cremated except for his brain, which Joyce, Jeffrey's mother, wanted to be donated to science to have research done to hopefully discover why her son had these Lionel Jeffrey's desires. father wanted Jeffrey's brain cremated as well because he wanted an end to the entire nightmare his family had endured and Jeffrey's will had stated he wanted to be cremated. Though Joyce fought and voiced that Jeffrey would have wanted to help in any way he could, the judge ruled in favor of Lionel and ordered Jeffrey's brain to be cremated as well. The ashes were split between Lionel and Joyce. I wish the judge had decided to donate his brain to research so they could look for deformities of development of developmental defects that may give more insight into why Jeffrey was the way he was. I've always found research like that very interesting. So that's really the end of the infamous killings of Jeffrey Dahmer. After everything that you've heard about Jeffrey, I'm curious to know your answers to these questions. Do you think Jeffrey Dahmer was born or made a killer? Do you think he could have been saved before he started killing? Do you think these were hate crimes? And lastly, do you think he truly felt sorry or regretted his crimes? Or do you even think he was capable of feeling these things?
From everything that I've researched for this episode and have learned, I'd have to say that I believe that Jeffrey Dahmer was made a killer. I think from his early exposure and his killing of dead animals, this need to kill only grew with age. He was so intelligent and maybe if he had been more engaged in school and his family had been more aware of his abuse of alcohol, maybe he could have gone down a different path. I'm not taking any of the responsibility from Jeffrey. His choices were his choices, but back in the 70s and 80s, being gay was not acceptable and I'm sure he struggled with that part of him as a teen and much of that struggle could have turned into rage. I also don't think that these were hate crimes. I think it was his need to totally dominate his victims and the fact that he was homosexual, this just caused more stress and anger within himself. I don't think Jeffrey was truly sorry for his crimes. I don't think he's capable of feeling empathy or remorse at all. I believe he knows what he did was wrong and that he hurt a lot of people, but I don't think he can feel remorse or guilt for what he's done. Let me know what you guys think in the comments down below. And thank you so much for listening. And tune in for next week's episode. Hopefully you'll be in next week. And I really am not entirely sure what that episode is going to be about. But I think it probably will be about the Boy in the Box case. But yeah, thank you so much again for listening. And I'll catch you next time. Bye.